Bye bye, Bibi. Adieu, Netanyahu. Shake out all the pun filled headlines, folks. Breathe and process this news. The reign of the longest serving prime minister in Israel's history is over for now. Yesterday, Benjamin Netanyahu lost his seat after opponents formed a coalition government in the Knesset, Israel's legislature. Members cast votes well into the night to chart a new way forward for Israel. Miri Miriam Regev, Bad. Idan Roll, Einomishtatef. Yael Ron Ben Moshe, Einamishtatef. The new government is an unlikely group of left, right, and center politicians united really only under their opposition to Netanyahu. Getting rid of him was ultimately easy, just a vote. But next comes a hard part. What's next? I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's June 14th, 2021. World leaders conclude the G7 summit with proposals to fight climate change and coronavirus. Three mass shootings over the weekend have authorities worried about a violent summer. And a record-setting heat wave is expected to hit the American Southwest this week. Do they make drinkable sunscreen yet? Today, we speak to LA Times reporter Laura King about Netanyahu's legacy and his downfall and whether the new government can bring any peace to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And we'll also hear from a Palestinian-Canadian doctor who lost family members in an Israeli attack, yet has emerged as a leading advocate for peace. Benjamin Netanyahu served as Israel's prime minister for the past 12 years. The vote to replace him yesterday in the Knesset was as partisan as what we see in Congress here in the U.S. 60 ayes, 59 nays, with one person abstaining. Laura King is an L.A. Times global affairs correspondent. She's currently in Israel and was there for the Knesset vote that saw Netanyahu ousted as prime minister. Welcome to The Times, Laura. Thank you. Describe that final vote itself, the scene that happened during and then afterwards. Well, as long as the lead up was to the vote, I think there was this sense up until the very last moment that something could go haywire for the new coalition. And um, so the vote was about as close as it could be. It was 60 to 59 with one abstention. And so I think there was just an enormous sense of relief on the part of the new uh, coalition that was trying to oust Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu um, that they had actually pulled this off. And I heard there was heckling there uh, towards Naftali Bennett, the new prime minister. Yes, when he rose to speak, there was a really concerted amount of heckling from the uh, the allies of the outgoing prime minister, barely letting him finish a sentence at times. His kids were in the gallery and they were making little heart symbols with their hands, I think, trying to encourage their dad. Netanyahu, of course, is a titan of Israel's history, longest serving prime minister, still very popular or definitely has his supporters. So what led to his downfall after managing to successfully fend off past threats to his leadership? I think there was just a lot of fatigue. The country had had four elections, four national elections in the last two years, and people were absolutely tired of just being in this political process that never ended because these elections had inconclusive results. And so then they would have to go to another one. Also, the prime minister is on trial for criminal corruption charges that are very serious. He's had scandals before, but this one really seems like it might stick. 
And he had been using his office in a lot of ways to try to attack the prosecutors, attack the courts. And I think it was really starting to give people the feeling that he was clinging to power, really, in order to fight these criminal charges having to do with bribery and fraud. And they're serious charges that could carry actual jail time. And the prosecutors seem to think that they have a pretty solid case against him, but that will take some time to play out in court. This new government coalition, it seems to be a coalition of convenience. You have an incoming prime minister, Naftali Bennett, who's on record as publicly opposing a Palestinian state. On the left, you have an Arab party for the first time ever part of a governing coalition for Israel. Holding the center is Yair Lapid, the former opposition leader in the Knesset. And in between all of them, there are even more factions. So how exactly is this coalition saying this is going to work for them? Well, that's the big question. Can this coalition hang together? I mean, they managed to to stay united long enough to survive this vote um, and to and to get into office. But the the least little thing, really, uh, the least little disagreement among them could cause the government to fall apart. So that's going to be a huge challenge for them. Lara, right now, the governing coalition has made this agreement that one party, the one led by now Prime Minister Bennett, will rule for two years. Then another party led by Lapid, more centrist, will assume power for two years after that. But all of this then starts with Naftali Bennett. He's a protege of Netanyahu. Uh, What's his background and what's his agenda as a new prime minister? Well, he's an interesting character. I mean, he was an army commando in in an elite military unit. Uh, He was a high-tech entrepreneur who sold a startup for many millions of dollars and um, walked away with pretty much the freedom to do whatever he wanted to do. Um, He has only been in electoral politics for less than 10 years, but the way he started in public life was working as a close senior aide to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He was really a, a protege of the prime minister, and now he's the person who is largely responsible for his downfall. What led to that split between the both of them? Well, some of it was political and some of it was personal. Um, There are a a lot of different versions of what happened. Um, But as time went by, um, they did periodically kind of get back together again. Uh, Bennett did serve in in Netanyahu's government. Um, But this last split seems to have been the decisive one. Is the new Prime Minister Bennett, is he particularly popular across Israel? I mean, if he cobbled together this coalition, it seems to be more about the parties themselves than the popular vote. Well, really, it was Yair Lapid who cobbled the coalition together, and he was eager to have the participation of Mr. Bennett. Even though he heads only a small party, it's kind of a swing party, and whichever side he chose to align with um, would probably be able to form a coalition. So really, uh, Yair Lapid made kind of a sacrifice in saying, okay, you can go first and be the first prime minister, and I will stand aside for the next two years. There's obviously many issues in Israel that the new governing coalition is going to have to tackle, but the big one worldwide is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Is there a chance for greater peace under this new coalition? You know, actually, this is one area in which the coalition is saying right off the bat that it is probably not going to be able to make much progress because the views within the coalition are so different. You have very dovish parties, very hawkish ones. And so uh, for them to be able to come up with a coherent position on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict 
just seems very unlikely. So what they will probably do initially is turn their attention to things like the national budget, uh, which is two years overdue, uh, things like infrastructure, just evergreen, things like that, and really just kind of try to turn down the political temperature. I mean, it's not clear whether this is going to be some kind of a transitional government um, having accomplished its main goal already of driving Mr. Netanyahu from office. It's like, okay, we won. Uh, what do we do now with this power? There's some pretty smart people involved, and they do have a lot of good ideas that people like anyway. Um, so, you know, we'll see what they'll be able to accomplish. Laura, you and our colleague Tracy Wilkinson wrote a piece earlier this month about Yari Lapid, you know, the one of the architects of this new government. He recently met with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Jerusalem. What was the reason for that meeting? It's pretty normal for the Secretary of State to meet with the leader of the opposition in Parliament, which is the position that that Mr. Lapid then held. So uh, there wasn't anything uh, underhanded about it. But I think it's pretty clear that the Biden administration has been having a pretty hard time with Mr. Netanyahu. And I think they probably feel that Mr. Lapid and Mr. Bennett are going to be easier to work with. In the United States, there's been some talk about the political class that there might be an uprising by Netanyahu supporters the way there was an uprising with Donald Trump supporters here in the United States. Do you see Netanyahu's supporters just saying, okay, accepting what happened and just moving on? Well, there was certainly a very heated atmosphere um, leading up to this vote with a lot of hate speech flying around on social media. Uh, The head of the domestic security agency, the Shin Bet, Um, actually issued a warning saying that this kind of incitement and and violent discourse could really lead to to problems. Um, But at the same time, you didn't really see it reflected out in the street. There were some scattered demonstrations um, in favor of Mr. Netanyahu, but they were not mass outpourings that you would sometimes see um, in connection with other changes of government in the past. So it's hard to tell whether they are going to accept this quietly or whether there is going to be continuing unrest. And what's next for him politically? He is the leader of the opposition. He became the leader of opposition uh, the moment that the vote passed and he was no longer prime minister. He still does have a very devoted following. And uh, he even said in his speech, we'll be back. So no one is expecting him to go away quietly. Thank you so much for this interview, Laura. Thank you. We'll be right back after this break. Dr. Isildin Abulaish is a Palestinian-Canadian author of the 2011 memoir, Shall Not Hate, A Gaza Doctor's Journey on the Road to Peace and Human Dignity. He lost three daughters and a niece in 2009 after an Israeli tank shelled his home in Palestine. Dr. Abulaish is a professor at the University of Toronto. Dr. Abulaish, welcome to The Times. Thank you so much. So your initial reaction to the departure of Benjamin Netanyahu and the creation of this new Israeli coalition government? They have the change, but the change in what? The change, is it in people only or in policies or is it only like money exchange and nothing is going to happen? We changed it from right wing to right wing, center, and even left or extremist right wing. So we need to witness the change 
in the practices, in the political applications and the impact of it. And that's what people are waiting for. But if we want just to change it from Netanyahu, from the right wing to another right wing, or from the same politics, for me as a Palestinian, I want to see a change in the political situation where we have a new leadership with the new vision, a new perspective, where they believe in peace that is equalizing between people where there is justice, freedom, and accountability for all. So that's why let us wait with this government, which I see it, they succeeded 60-59 to move Netanyahu out of the game, but he's not going to surrender. He will put a lot of challenges in front of them. Let us wait and see the actions to prove where are we going. You mentioned how fragile this coalition is. You have people from the left, from the right, extreme right, people in the center. Do you see this coalition lasting? I am optimistic, but I want to deal with the facts. How can you mix apples with orange? Their agendas are completely different. It's only individual political interest. And their main own interest was, of course, to get Netanyahu out and to find a place for themselves. So it's time for them to prove by action and to translate what do they believe in by action first at the Palestinian Israeli public inside Israel and the Israeli Jews to enforce equality justice within the Israeli community. That's what is needed in East Jerusalem. What are they doing? So we need to see what do they believe in. What are you hearing from your fellow Palestinians about this? How are they reacting? Yeah, of course, I have been speaking with the, my Palestinian fellows. They said, of course, it's a change government, but we want this a change. I want to see a change in the actions where people that can feel these changes in their real daily life. And it's the same practices on daily basis. The checkpoints, the expansion of the settlements, the resources, the humiliation. On daily basis, the killing of the Palestinians. We need to see a change, but to keep the status quo, it's not going to help. You have someone like the new prime minister, Naftali Bennett, and he has said some things in the past as boasted about killing Arabs, but now he's vowing to have no new settlements while he's in charge. At least in the American side, we view him as even being to the right of Netanyahu. But do you think someone like him can be that surprise, sort of like the enemy that you never realized can actually be your friend and actually can transform things better for you? I want him to be my friend by his actions. I want to, to him to translate, you know, the words that he's talking to say there is the right of the Palestinian people to live in a free state based on international resolutions and no one is above order. And that's what is important. Instead of building walls, we need to build the bridges because these walls will never provide safety or security to anyone. They are part of this world and they need to follow the international law. Dr. Abuleish, you were born in Gaza. You practice medicine in Israel. You now practice, of course, in Canada. You're an outspoken proponent for peace between Israel, the Palestinians, and all their neighbors. Does the ouster of Netanyahu make this easier? No, no, because, you know, even I believe in peace and will continue to believe in peace, but we need to define and identify peace. And what are the requirements for peace? Peace for whom? Peace is based, if you ask anyone, what is peace? It means justice, freedom, equality, respect to have your own sovereignty on your land and to have the freedom to move without any humiliation and intimidation. So Netanyahu, even the peace process that I believed in in 1994, which was signed by a brave man, the prime minister, 
Rabin, it was buried with him, the Oslo Agreement, by whom he was killed by right extremist Israeli Jewish. But it was the result of incitement and the people who didn't believe in the peace agreement, particularly Netanyahu. He doesn't believe in peace. I said it clearly. Peace, the freedom, the future, the independence of the Israelis is linked and dependent on the Palestinians' freedom, safety, security, and the future. They are not in peace as long as Palestinians are not. They are not free as long as Palestinians are not. We are there as conjoined twins, and we have to find a way to live as equal neighbors based on international law and respect of human rights. This is the guarantee for a long-lasting peace between Palestinians and Israelis. Finally, at the very beginning of this interview, you talked about uh, the legacy of Benjamin Netanyahu, or you mentioned it, but you didn't say what that legacy was. So for you, doctor, what is Netanyahu's legacy? Yeah, Netanyahu's legacy is to increase the gap, even within the Israeli public. The gap is wider. The incitement, the hatred against each other to attack each other, and even between the Israeli, the Palestinian Israelis and the Israeli Jews, and then between Palestinians and Israelis, with the storming during the holy month of Ramadan. That's the legacy, more innocent people, and to widen the gap between Palestinians and Israelis, and even to create a crack and a fissure inside and between the public. So that's the legacy he left. He did good things, but most importantly, he is accountable to these legacies that he did. And now he has to realize that everything has an end, and now he is out of the game, and he maybe will be the future a prisoner. Because he's in a corruption trial that is ongoing, even as he just got deposed as Prime Minister of Israel. Thank you so much for this interview, doctor. Thank you. And finally, a big congratulations to our LA Times colleagues who did great at this year's Pulitzer Prizes. Robert Green won in the editorial writing category for a series on criminal justice reform. Mark Swed was a finalist for criticism. He writes about classical music. And Jack Dolan and Brittany Mejia were also finalists in the local news category for a series about the deadly delays patients face at public hospitals run by Los Angeles County. Find all of their stories at latimes.com and do become a subscriber if you're not already. This podcast is free, of course, but then again, there is no such thing as a free podcast, folks. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, we check in with our masters of disasters, the LA Times reporters who cover calamities all over the world. This time, we're going to focus on earthquakes and not the political kind. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Julia Turner and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this madre. Gracias. Gracias.